Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for February 20th. I'm your host, Sandra Bell. This week, we talked to John Lewis, a senior forecaster with the National Weather Service in North Little Rock, about the weather outlook for the upcoming spring planting season. We also sit down with Cooperative Extension Service entomologists to talk about insect problems farmers could face this year. Finally, we visit with Ralph Pinkerton of Garland County Farm Bureau and Melanie Ritter of National Park College in Hot Springs to discuss the importance of the Meet the Candidate forums sponsored by the county farm bureaus. First up, Ken Moore talks to National Weather Service senior forecaster John Lewis who says that there may be some drier weather in March, but the long-range outlook looks very wet. On this edition of Arkansas AgCast, I'm visiting now with Mr. John Lewis. He is a senior forecaster with the National Weather Service office in North Little Rock and has been uh, working for the National Weather Service for a number of years. And uh, we just thought it was timely now uh, as we're midway through the month of February and uh, springtime will be uh, upon us before we know it. Talk about, if you will, John, uh, why... Here in Arkansas, we're not having the typical cold weather, the winter precipitation that those of us who've been raised in Arkansas are familiar with in previous years. The last several, it seems like the climate has certainly been trending to warmer than normal, and we just don't see much in the way of winter weather. Yeah, and the last time we really had cold weather was, uh, we're talking about maybe 10 years ago, uh, when we were in 10, 2010, 2011, some, somewhere back there, it was much more of a, uh, we'll call it La Nina pattern, uh, where if you go out t- uh, toward the equator in the Pacific Ocean, the water is a little bit cooler uh, than it should be, or, or below average water temperatures, that would be La Nina. Um, and we had some pretty strong La Ninas uh, back then, and in 2010 and 2011, uh, it got pretty cold. Uh, during those winters, but since then we really haven't had a pattern like that. We've kind of switched it, uh, flipped the switch a little bit, and we've gone more uh, toward El Nino, uh, which would mean that the the warm the water has warmed up uh, toward the equator, um, and we've seen uh, a lot of rain. Uh, so in uh, 2018, uh, we had the ninth uh, wettest year on record in Arkansas. Uh, this goes all the way back to 1895, and then uh, then last year, 2019, we had the seventh uh, wettest year on record, uh, and we're talking about uh, uh, rainfall for the state somewhere in the 65-inch range, which is about 15 uh, inches above average. And uh, as you say, here going into 2020, here we go again. Uh, with a bunch of rain uh, here in the last couple of months. Uh, You know, every so often we've had some dry months. So in September last year it was dry, and December it was also very dry. Uh, But, you know, by and large it's been uh, pretty wet uh, lately, and it does look as we head into the spring, uh, especially uh, April and May. And we're looking at these are long-range models that uh, we we take a peek at to to make a forecast. uh, one of which is the North North American Multi-Model Ensemble, which is like six models together that you look at, average them, and what it's telling us is that for, for April and May anyway, it looks pretty wet, 
March, it's kind of hinting that it might be a little bit drier than average in Arkansas. But by and large, in the next three months, it looks like it's going to be uh, looks like it's going to be wet. That's what we have to look forward to. The other thing, as as you talked about, was the the uh, the plants don't really know the difference. It's been a mild winter. Uh, they're blooming early. Uh, the the worry with that is is if we have like a late freeze or something like that heading into later in March and maybe early April, if we have a freeze or something like that, that could be rather devastating uh, with the plants coming back uh, earlier than usual. Not really looking for that uh, this year. We didn't have it last year. Matter of fact, the last freeze that we had in much of Arkansas was uh, early in March. So um, that's that's something to, to, to keep an eye on uh, heading into the spring, too. So Certainly, and we can talk about that a little more in just a minute. But uh, as far as the rainfall, I'm just looking at the latest data on your website. And uh, so far here in Little Rock and Central Arkansas, since the first of the year, we're uh, more than five inches above normal rainfall. Not quite as bad. Last year, we were almost seven inches above normal in mid-February. But so that uh, forecast of a drier month of March will be welcome for our farmers and ranchers. When they get to this time of year, they're eager to get in the fields and do some field preparation uh, in advance of the the planting season, which really begins in earnest from mid-April through the end of May. Do you think we'll have any significant drying conditions, which I would think would mean sunshine and some wind to dry out these muddy fields we are enduring right now? Long-range models, it really doesn't indicate that because uh, while it does show that we could have a, a brief dry period there in March, we're right back into you know a wet period heading into April and May. And that wetness goes all the way from uh, the upper Midwest uh, all the way into the western Great Lakes, Ohio Valley, and into the southeast states. We're really, uh, in some of those areas, uh, all three months look wet. Um, and, you know, to be honest with you, um, the scary part of this whole thing is that uh, when you look at soil, soil moisture values uh, right now, uh, they're very high uh, east of the Rockies. So much of the eastern United, central and eastern United States has well above average soil moisture values, and it was the exact same story last year. So the the, the soil can't hold a lot of uh, moisture right now, so runoff rates are high. When we tend to get these heavy rain events, uh, the water goes straight from the ground into the uh, rivers and streams, and those are running high. Uh, as a matter of fact, right now the Mississippi River is uh, elevated, so you know some of our uh, rivers in uh, eastern Arkansas, uh, that being the uh, the White River, we'll, we'll use that as an example, is uh, is running high, and it can't drain because the Mississippi River is running high. So you know you've got uh, the the river's pretty steady right now uh, at all of our forecast points, and really the water isn't going anywhere. So it's a perfect setup, if you will, um, if we happen to get a heavy rain event. Uh, you know, with the with the water already up in some of these rivers, I mean, you're looking at uh, you know the potential for river flooding heading into the next few months, and um, and that's no good either because, uh, you know, when, as, as people know, when the White River and the Cash River overflow, you're looking at thousands of uh, acres of land underwater. So that's that's really not a good thing moving forward. No, not at all. And, of course, uh, last year, as you say, it was the same scenario. And then when we got to the month of May, 
Well, we had that torrential rainfall event up in the upper Arkansas River Basin in northeast Oklahoma, and we all know what happened with the Arkansas River flood, the historic flood we endured last summer. Uh, and let us certainly hope that we don't have one of those uh, perfect storms in northeast Oklahoma again later on. Yeah, let's hope not. I mean, that that was an interesting situation. I mean, that here locally, that was actually, we got into a little bit of a dry period uh, in May, uh, in late May here in Arkansas. I mean, overall, May was a wet month, but in late May, we kind of dried out a little bit as, as uh, high pressure formed over the southeast United States, and but storm systems tended to go around that high um, in the central plains. Uh, so that's that's where all the rain went. They went from the central plains into the mid-Mississippi Valley and into the Ohio Valley. Uh, they had a lot of tornadoes during that time frame, but they also had a lot of rain, so 10 to 20 inches of rain uh, in the month of May and parts of uh, northeast Oklahoma and Kansas, and that, all that water, uh, as, you, as you said, uh, went into the Arkansas River, and that led to the big Arkansas River flood. I mean, it would take the perfect storm, the perfect setup for that to happen again. Uh, you know, the odds of that happening again this year aren't good. Aren't good. But uh, uh, the, at least the setup is there uh, for at least, you know, flooding in other parts of the state. Um, and I would say right now uh, the odds are highest if we're going to have flooding it would be over uh, southern and eastern Arkansas. That seems to be where the heaviest rain uh, has been. Uh, looking at this month alone uh, in, in uh, February, uh, we've already had you know five to seven inch amounts uh, from Little Rock on to the south, um, and it's even heavier when you go into areas of uh, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, and northern Georgia, where some areas have had 10 to 15 inches of rain. They've got all kinds of problems uh, in that part of the country uh, with flooding. The Pearl River is high at Jackson. They've got evacuations going on. We just had a mudslide there in southern Tennessee with uh, two homes. Uh, that were lost uh, because of that. We've got highways in Alabama that have been shut down because of uh, too much rain, uh, and, the, and the highways have fallen apart. So it's not just in Arkansas. It's in other places as well. Sure. Uh, let's talk about that, uh, again, potential, and hopefully uh, we won't have uh, the setup for some late-season, early-spring Arctic air to come in. But uh, I remember just two years ago, I believe it was in the spring of uh, 2018, when we had one of those Easter freezes is what I'm going to refer to it. I always remember the one that we had that was devastating back, I believe, in 2007 when we lost all the peaches in Arkansas. The, every peach tree was was uh, damaged and the, the, they had budded out, and then we had that freeze. Well, we had a similar, not nearly as widespread, but a similar incident, I believe it was two years ago. And uh, hopefully, uh, even though we may have some, you know, warmer than normal weather between now and then uh, you're thinking that uh, the probability anyway of a late or Easter freeze will probably not occur this year. Uh, yeah, certainly not looking that way. I mean, the, now looking at the winter, uh, when we looked at the winter back in uh, October, maybe November of last year, the models did show that if there was going to be colder weather, it was it was going to tend to be later in the winter, and we are seeing that. Um, matter of fact, uh, the other morning, uh, well, Valentine's Day, uh, the temperature at uh, at Harrison and Mountain Home got down to 11 degrees in the morning, and that's really 
that's as cold as they've been all winter long, uh, and it waited that long. So, I, I mean, there there is that outside potential. I mean, the models were showing kind of a, you know, colder as we headed, you know, later into the winter, early spring. I mean, there is that potential. But, you know, looking at last year, we had a very similar pattern. And the, the freezes really shut down in early to mid-March, and we really didn't have anything later on. Yes, in 2018, we did have some freezes in April. Uh, hopefully not a repeat of that this year. The odds at this point certainly don't favor that. Okay, well, let's keep our fingers crossed about that as well. Well, then, uh, again, just wrapping this up, John, uh, kind of for the benefit of our listeners on this edition of AgCast, uh, why are the weather patterns tending to be warmer than normal and a little bit wetter than normal. I mean, I recall it was an unusual anomaly, the way I call it anyway, and I'm not a meteorologist, but following it, recurring, remembering what we had, you mentioned early on that in 2010 and 2011, we had some bitterly cold weather and more winter weather events, snow and ice events. Uh, We all remember the Christmas Day snowstorm in 2012, and that was uh, on the heels, though, of an extreme drought, of one of the worst drought, summer droughts we've had in, in a number of years. Uh, cow pastures, uh, just the ground, it was hot and it was very dry in the summer before we had that Christmas Day winter snowstorm. And then since that time, we've had a few uh, winter weather events, but nothing in the way that I would call an extended drought. It's just tended to be warmer and wetter than normal. Is that going to continue long-term, you think, over the next several years? Yeah, and I, that's just that's something that's going to be very difficult to uh, predict. Um, I, when we tend to get into our, our uh, warm and dry periods and drought periods, that sort of thing, um, you're looking at a pattern where you swing to neutral or maybe La Nina. And, then again, La Nina would be the cooler than normal water along the uh, equator in the Pacific which is uh which is kind of what we had back in the in when we got really dry it, you know not only was did we have uh uh cold winters in 2010 2011 we also had uh, some dryness there too and as you said in 2012 it was very dry um one of the last big droughts or the, let's just say the, the most devastating uh, droughts that we had in the state 2005 was another one but uh, looking at the long range, it does look like uh, the, the the pattern is trying to take us a little bit toward La Nina later this year and early next year. But, um, you know, by and large, I think we're going to kind of stay in neutral territory, which would be somewhere between La Nina and, uh, and El Nino, um, which you, you can get some dry periods with that, but, you know, certainly not what we had. You know, back in the in the 2010 to 2012 range, um, as far as the winters go, you know that's that's kind of up in the air as as far as what we, where we go looking ahead in the next couple of years. Are we going to get into some of these uh, winters that we had, you know, 10 years ago? I mean, that's uh, I would say that's to be determined at this time. But uh, you know, our main worries again um, uh, heading into the spring is just how much rain are we going to get, and uh, and how much flooding, and are we going to be able to get the, the get these fields to dry out so that the the uh, planting situation is a little better. Um, 2019, I think we were the I think Arkansas was what the fifth 
fifth most fields, uh, 1.3 million acres, I think, something like that, that didn't get planted across the United States. And there were a lot of areas where planting didn't happen because it was just too wet. And hopefully that's not the case this year either. Yeah, certainly. I couldn't agree with you more. We had so many acres that uh, were prevented planting, and many farmers just uh, could not get the seed in the ground last year. And those that did, uh, the crops were planted much later than normal. Thankfully, our uh, fall harvest turned out because of that one dry month or that six weeks period from uh, maybe late August through the month of September allowed them to get some good harvesting done, thankfully. But uh, it was just a challenge getting to that point. John, listen, thank you so much for giving us a few minutes of your time. I know this is an inexact science, but you guys do a great job there at the National Weather Service. So thank you for uh, giving us uh, this outlook, and uh, we'll just see what happens over the next couple of months. Yes, sir, and, uh, yeah, let's let's see if we can uh, keep some of this rain away and, uh, you know, have a better planting year in Arkansas. That would be uh, That would be a good thing. Been speaking with John Lewis, a senior forecaster for the National Weather Service, here in North Little Rock on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Now, Keith Sutton chats with Cooperative Extension Service entomologists Gus Lorenz, Nick Bateman, and Ben Thrash. The trio describe insect problems Arkansas farmers are likely to be dealing with this year and things that can be done now to help reduce those problems. Welcome to AgCast. I'm Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. Today I'm in Lone Oak and I am visiting with three of our state uh, uh, extension entomologists, Gus Lorenz, Nick Bateman, and Ben Thrash. Welcome guys to AgCast. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, We're really glad to have you here and it's uh, getting close to the end of February and you might not think that uh, talking about bugs would be the thing to do at the end of winter, but really there's some things our farmers probably need to know about even right now. Gus, would would you start us out maybe uh, getting this conversation going? Yeah, uh, you know, it's kind of, we always get these questions about forecasting insect issues coming up in the, in the growing season this year and you know with all the weather that we've had you know as wet as it's been uh, when you think about the whole winter that we've just come through you know it's been a fairly mild winter we really hadn't had a lot of of cold temperatures uh, particularly in the south part of the state so you know that has a huge impact on our, our survival of of overwintering species you know all the all the pests that we have that overwinter here in Arkansas uh, generally speaking in in years of light winters that increases the overwintering survival of a lot of our pests so you know we we anticipate that that a lot of our native species like rice water weevil and uh, corn earworm and and some of those uh, tarnished plant bug, you know, a lot of insects that we, that w- that are native to Arkansas, uh, we, we suspect that they'll have survived through this winter uh, fairly well. And, and that means, you know, as we go into the growing season, we can expect to see, you know, pretty good populations starting out but with thrips in cotton and that kind of thing. And 
and tarnished plant bugs. Uh, you know, you look at the wild host out there, the, the winter weeds that are growing right now, and they're going to be providing that food for, for those insects to build up on so they move right from there on into our our crops when the growers start planting. So, you know, there's a good possibility based on the, the lack of winter that, that we're probably going to have some fairly good popular, not good, but uh, big numbers of, of insects that, that survive through the winter. And, and uh, so we're anticipating a little bit of insect pressure as we go into the year. And then as we get into the season, you know, uh, a big one for us in soybeans is red banded stink bug, for example. And that's one that normally doesn't uh, overwinter. If we have a good cold winter, they don't survive. And, and so we start from zero, but on a year like this where we've had a mild winter, uh, there, there's been some survival of, of those red banded stink bugs. And if you think back a couple of years ago, uh, when we went into 2017, we had a mild winter and we got, uh, we had some tremendous problems. We had, we had a lot of growers that had to treat three times for red banded stink bug in soybeans. And so we're anticipating a little bit of issue there with, with them coming into this year because of the mild winter. So that's kind of what we got on our mind as we go into the, to the season. So what are some of the things that, uh, our farmers need to know right now. Is there anything they can be doing uh, this time of year to prepare for the insect problems later on as we get into the warm seasons? Yeah, seed treatments. Uh, you know, seed treatments are something that needs to be considered for all of our crops. We see a yield increase, whether it be corn, soybean, rice, cotton, we see a yield increase there with with the use of seed treatments and that's something to start considering now what seed treatment making sure you have an insecticide seed treatment on uh on that seed you know something in particular like with rice we've been looking at combinations here recently with pertenser dermacore or, or diamides with either a cruiser or nipset and what we see there is the increased control of of rice water we will compare to nipster cruiser alone it's some things like that that need to be considered going into planting season and Ben's been doing some work with cover crops the last couple of years, and and our concern for those guys, Ben. Yeah, we've got a lot of concern with cover crops. Uh, now, one of our our big messages that we always talk about is burning that cover crop down three weeks before, you know, you plan on planting into it. You know, which a lot of the weed guys don't really like to hear because the more cover they have you know the better to suppress those weed populations but you know burning down that cover crop and giving time for those insects to disperse before you plant is a uh, one of the most important things you can do you know if you're if you're trying to manage insects in a cover crop so you need to get out there if you've got one and scout and and see what kind of insects you got out there to prepare yourself you know before you plant into it yeah and you know we talked about uh the cover crop that the grower has going into the growing season and what crop he's going to have like mm -hmm. a grass cover crop like cereal rye followed by another grass crop like corn you know we can get into some real problems with with root worms and wire worms and stuff like that. And uh, 
you know, we, we advise all growers, if, if they're planting corn behind a grass cover crop, first don't do that. <laughs> but if you're going to do it, if you're, if you've decided that that's what you're going to do, then that base treatment of, of insecticide seed treatment that comes on most of the, the corn that the producer is going to buy, it's, it's going to have a base level, a 250 level of, of insecticide seed treatment. And, and we strongly encourage them in that situation to bump that insecticide seed treatment level up considerably a minimum of, of 500 uh, to 1250 to make sure that you don't have problems with those below ground pests because the problem with those kind of pests like wire worms and grubs once you plant all your options are gone you can't treat them with a foliar application there's there's very little you can do so once you're past planting you're, you're going to have to live with those insects. If they're there and they're at a problem level, then there's nothing that can be done about it. So that, that's a big concern for us is, as cover crop acreage increases in the state, you know, there's a lot of good attributes with the cover crops, and we don't dispute that. You know, the water infiltration and the improving soil health, that's great. But you don't want to get yourself into a problem with some of these, some of these pests like we have because there's very few options once once you get into it and you got a problem there's there's very little advice that we can give you to 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 get around it and it it seems to me like driving around the state that the cover crops are really becoming a big deal there there's so many more acres than there were even three or four years ago so if if you're new to cover crops where do you find this type of information to help you know what you should do as a farmer? Yeah, we, we have several extension publications that are available to everybody uh, that covers this kind of information about that green bridge and, and the three-week period that Ben was talking about. But we have publications available for them to look at and, and to help them make decisions on, on how to manage. But uh, Ben gave good advice. You scout it and you look and see what's out there and then you know try to follow our guidelines in those publications as much as possible we want to avoid a, a grass crop behind a grass cover crop we want to avoid a, a broadleaf uh, crop behind a broadleaf cover crop and and a lot of guys you know they're all sitting out there going well i, I don't do i use a mix and so in that situation those problems are still going to be there, uh, but you have to manage them, and, and that seed treatment is, is critical. The insecticide seed treatments are critical in, in these crops behind cover crops. You've got to have an insecticide seed treatment, and considering the issues that we have with cutworms in a lot of these crops behind them, you know, it may call for if you're out there and you see a lot of cutworms in the cover crop, then if I'm going to if I'm going to go in behind it with a crop, I'm I'm probably going to put something you know behind the planter uh, to control those cutworms and and not let. I, we've seen fields where they they planted and and uh, all the plants were getting cut off by cutworms when they were coming out of the ground, and uh, it's it's hard to control them in that situation because that mat that the the cover crop makes on the ground, which is great for the weed control. It also makes it difficult to get those insects under control. You know, it's just hard. So, 
you may want to spray right behind the planter and and put a you know a, like a pyrethroid out like uh you know uh just a labeled pyrethroid out behind the planter just to give you some control of of that situation what do you think uh this may not be a fair question but i'm gonna ask it anyway what are what are maybe the three or four biggest insect problems you anticipate folks might be dealing with this this season this growing season what are some of the big ones well, you know from a from a rice standpoint every year you're going to deal with rice water weevil and rice stink bug those are the two biggest pests we have in arkansas weather can help us at sometimes but every year we're going to deal with with good populations of both of those pests i think we like for rice stink bug We've sprayed over 50% of our acreage in Arkansas the last two years. Isn't that right, yep. Nick, for rice stink bug? And so that that's a major pest for us, and it's one that we have to be prepared for. Uh, we have, and, and you have to scout. You know, when, when that rice starts heading, you got to scout it, and you got to scout it closely. So that's the big ones for rice. For us in, in cotton, you know, we start out the season with thrips. Thrips are everywhere. They're in every cotton field out there. And and with the issues that we've had with uh, resistance to some of our insecticide seed treatments, you know, the options out there for growers is, uh, you know, pretty much you got to start start out with a imidacloprid-based seed treatment like Gaucho or Eris. And then foliar uh, applications may be called for. Now, a lot of guys are using in furrow rigs, and they can... They can get out a lot of trouble with thrips, but uh, you know foliar applications in a bad thrips year is just part of the game right now. And picking the right the right uh, product to make a foliar application can have a huge impact on secondary issues like mites and that kind of thing later later down the line. And so thrips and then plant bugs, you know that's the the big one for us in Arkansas. We in cotton we 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 treat four to six times a year on average in Arkansas just for plant bugs. And and so plant bugs are always a, a major concern for us. And, the, and, and what we would tell growers is plan on planting early as possible to avoid plant bugs as much. You know, we found by planting early and getting them the cotton growing early and getting it going that we can avoid one or two applications for plant bugs just by planting timely and getting getting the seed in the ground and getting going. Now that's been hard to do the last two springs because yeah. of all the wet weather, but but those are the the major two that we start with in cotton. Yeah, and in, in soybeans, you know, corn earworms, one that we deal with, we like to call it our number one and number two pest because it's such a serious pest of of soybeans in Arkansas and cotton and sorghum and you know it gets in everything and that's one that we just have to deal with on a yearly basis uh you know soybean loopers the past couple of years have kind of just been a, a flash in the pan they've been pretty serious in some areas but it seems like they've uh their populations have came and crashed pretty quickly but like we said earlier one that we're looking at uh big is the red banded stink bug and it's it can be really costly to control for growers because it requires you know uh, repeat applications because their numbers build 
you know so quickly well you spray and then you come back next week and you're right back needing to needing to spray again and so uh what we're doing you know before too long we'll be surveying ditch banks surveying crimson clover checking it out in south arkansas and it kind of gives us an idea of how much uh how many of those red banded stink bugs overwintered for us and might get and it kind of gives us an idea of what we're going to be looking at you know yeah and we'll be posting you know we'll be doing that survey and we'll be posting those numbers and and letting everybody know that if we're catching a lot of overwintered red bands we're going to let everybody know so they can start gearing up they got to be prepared for that uh they got to look at that in their budget because it's for especially the guys in southeast arkansas they're they're looking at at least two to three applications mm-hmm. to get them under control and that that's kind of hard to budget you know there's not yeah. a lot of leeway in there the profitability is a concern for us we we want to make recommendations that that are economical for our producers we, we got to control the insects but we we have to do it the right way so so they maintain profitability we talked about insects in row crops how about uh insect problems with uh guys who are raising forage uh hay and stuff like that are there problems there too yeah there's definitely some problems uh problems there and fall army worms we look at you know they uh-huh. they can get pretty bad in in some areas and uh you know one that we've actually got to see firsthand this year was uh Bermuda stem grass maggot, you know, or Bermuda grass stem maggot, and uh, it can be pretty devastating on some grass, uh, on some Bermuda fields, you know. Uh, we had we had plots out this year, and where we treated versus our untreated yields were 50% lower where we didn't spray on the on that. So that's something that we're that's we're huge. Looking at. Oh, it's huge. <laughs> I mean, it's very visual. You could just look out at the field and see where we didn't spray, you know. So we're still learning some more on that pest. We're definitely going to be doing some research on it this year. Well, I guess what people, I want them to know from our conversation, it's not often I get to talk to three people at one time, but y'all are out there doing research. You're out all the time. You're speaking at a lot of our producer meetings. Uh, and folks can get on your website to get started. They can go to the county extension office, mm-hmm. I guess would be the number one way. And then how do they uh, find some of this information that's online? So uh, we have we have like a, the blog, uh, the UAEX blog the, uh, that we post articles in, and that's where you'll find, uh, you know, we post our, like our, our corn earworm trap catches, and, and if we're, doing our survey on red band we're going to post it on that blog site and and all those kind of issues are going to come up there we also do podcast ourselves during during the growing season and so there'll be plenty of opportunities for growers to hear us and and see what we're thinking about we're and, always putting stuff on twitter too so if okay you follow us on twitter you know we try to keep people updated on there and then uh the uh extension website is uaex.edu is that correct that's correct that's correct uaex.edu we appreciate you guys taking time to visit with us today hopefully uh 
we'll make this a regular thing and help keep folks up to date on what they need to know about insect problems. That'd be great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Finally, early voting is underway for the 2020 preferential primary election, March 3rd in Arkansas, and a number of county farm bureaus are sponsoring Meet the Candidate forums across the state. Ken Moore attended one such forum at National Park College in Garland County recently and spoke with Ralph Pinkerton of Garland County Farm Bureau and Melanie Ritter, Marketing and Public Relations Director for the college. On this edition of Arkansas AgCast, I'm out at National Park College in Hot Springs and it's time for another Garland County Farm Bureau candidate forum uh, in advance of our primary election which is coming up on March the third. Uh, early voting actually starts tomorrow across the state of Arkansas for the preferential primary and uh, we're out here as I said at National Park College and I'm visiting with Melanie Ritter who is the director of marketing and public relations for National Park College and Mr. Ralph Pinkerton who is the legislative chairman for the Garland County Farm Bureau and Ralph let's start visiting with you first. Garland County Farm Bureau has always had a very strong political education uh, program here in Garland County, and uh, you, you guys take it very seriously, like a lot of other county farm bureaus do. But uh, talk and, and tell me in your words why it's uh, so important for Garland County Farm Bureau to host this event. Well, one reason, uh, we started this several years ago at uh, Garland, I mean, Garland County Farm Bureau started it, and also at that time, National Park was holding one. We were about two weeks apart, and the candidate said, hey, why don't we combine these things? So I got in touch with uh, Dr. Sally Carter at uh, National Park, and uh, then we started meeting with Melanie Ritter, and so it's been going on for seven years, and it's a wonderful event for the people in our area. No question, and it's very, very important, isn't it, to present these candidates to the voters of Garland County, right, and uh, to let them make informed boats and they have turned out in droves once again tonight even though there's a threat of rain you've got a huge standing room crowd here tonight yes it is and uh every year we've had a good crowd and uh we've got a lot of interest in uh in this event every year and all the candidates are here they look forward to being a part of this event don't they right and we have additional some candidates that do not speak but we have candidates from different levels that will not speak here so they're they're uh, doing their politicking, too. Well, it gives them an opportunity to network with the voters. Uh, and, and right now there's a reception going on right across the hall where they can meet with the voters one-on-one uh, and, and have that interaction before they actually have an opportunity to get up to speak and present their present, make their presentation. Garland County Women's Committee uh, presents a re- makes a refreshment for this, and everybody really enjoys that and... Uh, but uh, that we've been doing this for years, and they do a great job, our Women's Committee does. Well, it's become a tradition before every election, and I'm going to assume that you're going to do it again before the general election in the fall, Melanie. Is that right? That's correct. We, we typically do an event ahead of the primary, and then we follow up with a more formal debate-style event in the fall before the election. Talk about the relationship that the college has developed with the Garland County Farm Bureau and Why is something that uh, the public looks forward to every time we have an election here? I think one of the benefits of this event is that all of the candidates are here. We invite candidates who run for statewide offices and any 
candidate who's representing a Garland County office. And so um, a, a citizen can walk in and visit with a candidate, um, all of them in one location, and not have to go to multiple events, and that's, that's a convenience. And I think it's just become the go-to event here in the county. And again, the crowd is just phenomenal tonight. It is. It's a great crowd, and we really love to um, have this opportunity on campus. It allows our students, our faculty and staff, to visit with candidates who are running for different parties in, within their offices and um, be able to you know, see all the different perspectives that are available to them. So that's important. You have a beautiful new venue for this event this year, haven't you? We certainly do. This is our new Student Commons building. We opened in August, so we are uh, christening this building with a lot of events this year, and it's a different space than what we're used to in in the Frederick Dirks Nursing and Health Science Center, but I think it works great for this event, and um, I think people will be happy with it. So what's going to be the format for the event here tonight? Uh, what, we, what can we expect from the candidates? So tonight at 6 o'clock we're starting with the meet and greet where people can walk in, talk to their candidates face-to-face, meet all of them at one time. And at 7 o'clock we'll begin what uh, we call lightning round speeches where select candidates from contested races are able to speak for two minutes, say their piece, share what they're representing, and then everyone kind of get an idea of, of, you know, who they want to vote for. Well, Ralph, again, uh, just talk finally about uh, the importance to Garland County. We know we stress our political education program. We encourage county farm bureaus to conduct similar type events all across the state. You know, it just seems like this is something that everybody has targeted, save the day, and they, they're going to be here. It is very important, uh, I think, for national park and for us too to put this event on because uh, the candidates look forward to it every year and the, the people look look forward to it they can't wait for it to happen each year and it's totally nonpartisan. as uh, i want to stress too that uh, garland county farm bureau and the arkansas farm bureau do not endorse candidates but uh, we just want to introduce the candidates to the voting public and we've been doing this for decades and uh, I think, uh, Ralph, Garland County Farm Bureau has kind of uh, taken a step forward and moved this to a higher level. Yes, we have. Uh, when we first started, it was not near as large as it is now, but we like what we're doing now, and the National Park has uh, been really good to us. They've got a great place to have it, and uh, it's been a lot more successful since we've joined National Park. And Melanie, uh, so thank you for uh, the partnership we do have with you uh, and the college. And uh, we'll look forward to being right back here again in about seven months when we get ready to vote in the, na- in the uh, general election. Absolutely. We are proud partners with Farm Bureau. And uh, if you look across the ravine there, you'll notice there's a building named after Mr. Ralph Pinkerton. And he is a, a treasure on our campus. And so we're just grateful to be partnered with our Garland County Farm Bureau, such a strong organization. Well, thank you both for taking a few minutes before we get started here tonight with this candidate forum. I've been speaking with Melanie Ritter of National Park College and Mr. Ralph Pinkerton of Garland County Farm Bureau on this edition of AgCast. That's all for this week. Arkansas AgCast will be back next Thursday with more stories and news from the state's largest industry.